The Old Testament reading is recorded by the inspired prophet Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the waters they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. The epistles from the inspired pen of the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the third chapter. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. 
So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text is the parallel gospel to the St. Luke reading. This one's in Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and alighting on him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Thus far our text. Well, by now I presume you know I'm a farm boy from Nebraska. But maybe you don't know that I went to a one-room country school. And in that country school, we had three recesses. One in the morning, an hour at noon, and one in the afternoon. And at those recesses, the big kids, especially at noontime, when the weather permitted, played softball. And for some reason, when I went to school as a little boy of five years old, I was intrigued by that game. And I can remember, even now, I can see myself sitting on the sidelines watching the big kids play. And I just couldn't wait until the day would come that they would let me play. And you know, in that game of softball and baseball and some other games and other places in life, You can have substitutes. You can substitute in a runner, or you can substitute in a hitter or another player. And we're familiar with that particular fact of substitutes. But not everybody is familiar about God himself being our substitute. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be our substitute in a far greater way than being a substitute in a ball game. There are some limitations to the substitute in the ball game, but there are no limitations 
of our Savior Jesus Christ being our substitute. And that's what he's talking about to John when John tried to prevent him. And he said, no, let be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. You see, Jesus was about 30 years old at this time. And up until this point, his divinity had been hidden. And actually, he didn't go around telling the school kids who he was or telling anybody else who he was. At this point, he did inform John that he was going public with his ministry. And as Luther says, this is really his first public act as the pastor for all of humanity. For when he stepped forward and said, John, I want to be baptized, he went public with who he really is. God in the flesh of man come to redeem us from the curse that hung over us for our disobedience of God's holy will. Here he becomes humanity's substitute. That is, he takes our place, truly our place. He becomes the worst sinner the world has ever known because he becomes sin, or he accepts our sin. All the rebellion of humanity, the Father places on him as he steps into this water in the Jordan River. And he becomes the substitute for all of humanity. For as Paul writes to the Galatians, he who hangs on a tree is cursed. He became the worst sinner the world has ever known. Because all of your sins, all of my sins, the sins of the entire humanity are placed on him. Just as though he had done them himself. And he bears them for us. Now some people balk at this. I had one lady, dear lady, in Bible class, when we happened to come across this in another text in Scripture, and she said, oh no, my Jesus could never be a sinner. He has to be a sinner for you and me if we're going to be declared to be forgiven. Because God is a holy and just God. And when Adam and Eve were seduced by Satan and fell into sin, they rebelled against God and his holy will, and they fell. And the only way for them to be restored, God says, it takes the shedding of blood to pay for forgiveness. And Jesus had to shed his holy blood for us that we might be forgiven and have the certain hope of eternal life. So when he stepped into the water, he represented all of us. Not just those of us that are here, 
Not just those who will believe in him. As some churches teach. But he stepped into the water representing becoming the substitute for all of humanity. Those who love him and those who hate him. Doesn't make any difference. When he cried out from the cross, it is finished. The debt of sin had been paid for. And the Father declared everyone to be forgiven. Because Jesus represented everyone. He became a substitute for all of humanity. Now sometimes, well obviously, reason cannot capture this. So if people sit around and try to reason it out, like one gentleman, well he was a pastor. Not of our church, but of another church. When he had trouble believing this, he said, I just can't believe it. He was trying to reason it out. He was trying to figure out how can this actually be. Well, reason is faulty. In fact, this is God's mystery revealed to us in his word and in his son. And it takes the faith he gives us in holy baptism to believe it. That Jesus is our substitute. He began his ministry, his public ministry, here in the Jordan River. John the Baptist didn't even grasp it totally, of course, as he tried to prevent him. But then Jesus prevailed upon him with the words, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Only the precious, holy blood of God himself can fulfill all righteousness. God gave the people an inkling of what was coming back in the Old Testament. After they came out of Egypt and they set up the orders of worship. And you will remember that, that Moses soaked the sponge and the blood of the calves, etc., and sprinkled the people. But you kind of think of it, when you first read that, I don't know, have you ever been sprinkled with warm calf blood? It isn't something you really want to get on your Sunday clothes. You know, you don't think of it. But that's what Moses did. He sprinkled the people with this blood, for it was a foreshadowing of the blood that was going to be shed by God's Son. Holy, precious. The scriptures say that the blood of the animals, that can't take away your sin, but it points you forward to the one who can take away your sin. God's Son in our flesh. He accepted our sins in holy baptism. 
as he became our substitute. And he bore them to the cross. And you know how it was the Passion Week. And particularly late Monday, Thursday evening and early Friday morning when he shed, began to shed his precious blood for us. He was beaten. He was tied to the beating post. You know, the hands up here on the post, so you're sort of bent forward. And then they bear your back, and then you are whipped with a whip, a club, so long, leather strips tied to it, and then some pieces of metal or stone or flint so that it will tear your flesh. And you receive 39 lashes across your bare back. It's just mind-boggling that any human could survive this type of beating. This was just one of the beatings that Christ took in our stead as our substitute, bearing the sins of the world, satisfying the Father's wrath over our disobedience, that the heavens could be opened up and that through the water of holy baptism we can receive the work of our Savior. Our Savior in the water took our sins. In our water, he gives us his righteousness. So we are clothed with Christ's righteousness. We are forgiven. The Father has declared us to be his forgiven children. Like the pastor at my uh, seminary graduation said to us, you may not look like saints, you may not talk like saints all the time, you may not even act like saints all the time, but you are a saint. Because God has declared you to be a saint in the water of holy baptism. Where he was pleased to put his name on you and adopt you as one of his own dear children, taking up residence within you, writing your name in the book of life, promising never to leave you nor forsake you. And when you breathe your last breath here on this life, he's going to receive you into his presence in heaven eternally. What could be greater in all of the world than to know that? Though we are wasting away, well, some of us faster than others, are wasting away, we don't have to worry about it. Because we know that we're going to heaven. And when we get there, we're going to well, the scriptures say you're going to be able to run and jump as a deer. 
You're going to be glorified as Christ is glorified. And you're going to spend eternity in his presence where there's no pain, no suffering, no death, none of all those negatives that we experience in this life. All this because Jesus became your substitute and died in your place. And now he's giving you his righteousness as he has taken our unrighteousness. So if you ever have a discouraging day and you ever wonder what God thinks about you, find your baptismal certificate. Now some of you probably have it framed and hanging in the kitchen where you can see it every morning when you get up. I remember a couple of German people in one of my parishes. Boy, those Germans knew how to make baptismal certificates. This thing was huge. It was like that. And they had, husband and wife, each had their baptismal certificates framed and on the hallway, which leading to the bedroom. And every morning it was there, and every evening for them to see it and be reminded that in their holy baptism, Jesus, being their substitute, gave them his righteousness. Thanks be to God for giving us his son as our substitute. Amen. Now may the peace that passeth all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.